If you would, please take your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Ruth in your English Bibles. It comes just after the book of Judges, as we've already said and set the context. It is set in the period of the Judges. We've already been in this book just a little bit. Uh, Chapter 1 of this very short book, this very brief narrative is really setting the context for the whole book, but also it's setting, it's setting a contextual note for a time period in the Bible for us. As I've told you before, um, when we're looking at the period of the judges, as we've, we've seen contextually, in those days there was no king in Israel, and each did what was right in his own eyes. That refrain is said about four times in the book of Judges. And what we must know is when it's talking about in those days there was no king in Israel, what it, we need to recognize as there was no recognition of Yahweh as king in Israel. That's why each person, each man, was doing what was right in his own eyes, is because they had sacrificed the foundation and fabric of morality even. That's why they did these horrific things, because there is no king in Israel, and there is no recognition of a king in Israel. We don't have to think very hard to extrapolate, do we? When you take God out of the equation, anything goes, right? There is, when you take the moral standard out of the equation, anything goes, and why not? If I am setting the course for my life with no objective morality, then what I think is right is right. And if what you think is right offends me, then what you think is right is wrong, but yet there are no absolutes. Go figure. But here we are in Ruth, and we have come in Ruth to one of the probably most central passages in the Old Testament itself, and I'm not exaggerating. When we get to Ruth, I mean, you don't have to raise your hands, but I I think some of you probably have said these words in your wedding. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord do so to me, and more, if anything, departs me from you in death, except for death. This is a profound statement. This is a profound statement spoken by a Moabite woman, and that should not be lost on us. This is not spoken by an Israelite. This is spoken by a Moabite, a woman who was of a nation who were enemies of Israel, who did not help Israel, but derided them when they came out through the Exodus. And yet we have this profound, I'm going to call it a gospel statement, and I'll I'll explain that more as we go along, why I'm calling it a gospel statement, but it absolutely is. It's a good news statement, one that should reverberate in our minds and hearts this morning and even beyond this day. And so without further delay, I want us to dive right into the text this morning. This morning we're looking at Ruth chapter 1. We're looking at a smaller section, verses 14 to 18, as we hone in on this statement by Ruth. So please turn your attention now to the Word of God. Beloved of God, this is God's infallible, inerrant Word, starting in verse 14, chapter 1. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, 
where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for this word, its power, the richness, the beauty of it. Oh God, be, be with us now as we study it. Use it to pierce the very depths of who we are, that we might be transformed, that our hearts would be committed to you. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. You know, it may sound heroic and even romantic to say, I would die for this person. When I think of my children, I would die for my children. I'd give my life for my children because their lives are that meaningful to me. And there is a, you know, there, there's, there's a romance to this idea. And I'm not trying to say that's purely sentimental or romantic. It's a reality. But there's a romance to that idea. I would die for you or I would die for him or her. I would die for, for this or that person. But dying for someone is not always the hardest choice. Well, what rational parent wouldn't die for their child if it meant their child's living? Yes, I would give my heart to my children if it meant their life. Of course. But yet, the sacrifice that our children need is not death per se, right? The sacrifice our children need is a life lived for them and with them. It's a life of committed love, a life of saying, I'll be with you through the valleys. I'll be with you on the mountaintops. I'll be with you when it's hard. I'll be with you when you fall. I'll be with you when you're down. I'll be with you when you're up. I'll be with you in the process. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. For people that we love, not just children, we do that. That's, our, that's a calling. And I, and I dare say, living with people is much harder than dying for them. Dying for them is a one-time act. You can laugh if you want to. It's kind of funny because people are hard to, to deal with. You know, when people who work with people for a living, I've heard them say sometimes, my job would be great if I didn't have to deal with people. So living, or the, the dying part, now of course no one wants to die, or at least we shouldn't want to. Healthy people don't want to just die. But beloved, here's the thing. It's making a choice to live a committed life with people that is the real hard sacrifice and calling. We do it in parenting, we do it in marriage, we do it in relationships, and in every single one of those, we have mountaintops and valleys, we have peaks and dips, we have the fun part, and we have the hard part, and yet that's what it means to be committed. Commitment is sacrificial by its nature. You know why? It forces us to do things that we don't really want to do. If we're going to be genuinely committed to a cause, to a person, to whatever have you, we're going to do things that we don't really want to do. And if you're Southern, you're going to do it with a fake smile on your face. And someone asks you how you're doing, you're going to say, fine. And you know you're not fine. It's not fine. Nothing's fine. But uh, that's just the polite way to deal with it. That's what it means to sacrifice. If, if we're honest, when our commitments are waning, 
when commitment wanes in the broader culture, it's usually because people don't really want to make the sacrifices that are demanded of the commitment. And here's what I'll say on the, on the front end of this. There's also this beautiful thing of called counting the cost. And I do think it's important for people to count the cost of things on the front end because sometimes we count the cost and we recognize I can't make this commitment and not fulfill it anyway. I could make the commitment and fail. And sometimes we do need to make the commitment and fail. That's a great lesson to learn. Failing is a good thing. We should fail often and learn from it. Of course, there's also wisdom in sometimes looking at a situation and going, hmm, I can't really cash the check I'm about to write, so maybe I should pull back from that. But beloved of God, so often I find that people won't be committed because of a general lack of desire to pay the cost. It's easy to be noncommittal because commitment demands living sacrifices. In this particular instance, commitment demanded that Ruth give up a lot. Her commitment made her give up a lot, and we're going to see that in just a minute. When we, when we're, when we're gonna, if we're going to live in God's economy and God's kingdom and God's community, we've, we've got to be sacrificial. We've got to be committed. We've got to be those types of people who say yes when it would be easier to say no. And can I say that sometimes commitment is saying no? because you've already said yes to something else? Commitment is a beautiful thing, but it does require wisdom. There's not always the easy answer, but too often among people we find, I have found in my experience, maybe it's just unique to me, that commitment is avoided so that sacrifice is limited. Well, we see sacrifice in Ruth. Ruth chose a life of service and sacrifice. Why? Well, at the very least, because she's committed to Naomi. There's something broader than that, something bigger than that happening, and we'll see it unfold. But at this point, we just know she's committed to Naomi. This is a, there's a prominent truth that is going to be displayed in Ruth, and it is service. It is committed service. It is a commitment to serving again and again and again and doing what must be done to serve and serve well. And so what it does is it teaches us the blessing of committed service over abandonment even when it's hard. And maybe sometimes we count the cost and we realize we're going to come up short, but we think the God, the Holy Spirit might be prodding us anyway to walk by faith as He provides what we need in those moments. And beloved, take that step. I have been guilty of not taking it in my life and regretting it. And I have taken it in my life and loved it. I have also taken it in my life and say, oh, Lord, why? So we know that when we make the steps of committed sacrifice, there's not always, rarely is there an easy answer to it, but there is something beautiful on the other side as we grow in our faith and trust in the Lord. Ruth, it teaches us the value of faithfulness at great cost to ourselves. So when we think about commitment, one, we should understand that it's not arbitrary and it's not even left to the discretion of ourselves or at our own prerogative. We as believers in the Lord are called to make commitment a settled reality in our lives, that we're committed to God, we're committed to God's kingdom, we're committed to God's people. And what that's going to look like for you may be slightly different from what it looks like for me. 
It may be saying yes to some relationships and no to some others. It may be saying yes to these discipleship opportunities and no to some others. It may be saying yes to these serving opportunities and no to some others. It may be saying yes to opportunities in your vocations and no to something else. And sometimes it'll be for a season, a short season, and sometimes it's for an extended season. My point is, is that Ruth had no idea what kind of season of commitment she was making, but she made it. But she made it. And I think there's something to learn for us there. So this morning, without further delay, there's one idea I want for us to see. It's this, that the path of commitment is generally the hard path. That the path of commitment is generally the hard path. When you think of commitment, we can't get away from the New Testament principle. Well, I should call it the New Testament principle. It's throughout the Bible. Of dying to self. So this idea that we're constantly to die to self, to put our flesh to death, that we might walk in Christ and the, the newness of life and the, the joy of the Lord, uh, that's this idea. In other words, we won't really experience commitment as it's meant to be experienced until we learn how to die to ourself on the normal, on a daily basis. Because as long as I can't die to myself, I'm really not going to commit to things that put me in a sacrificial position because I'm living for myself and not something beyond me. And so the committed life is a continual exercise and sacrifice. It shouldn't be lost on us. It's hard, right? It's a hard teaching. It's a hard road. And Jesus said it. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. This is not the first time I've quoted that, and it won't be the last, because it, it, it beautifully captures what commitment in the kingdom of God looks like. It is a big yes to Jesus in a lot of different scenarios, and a no to my flesh, a no to the world, a no to what's easy, a no to what might be comfortable, a no to what might be convenient. And that's what it means to live lives of commitment. Nothing in this world is easy because this world is sin-cursed. But you see, what's happened is Satan has taken the carrot of easy, uh, achieving the easy life, and he dangles it in front of humanity, and we reach for it, and we reach for it, and we reach for it, and it's not real. Because the life that Jesus calls us to is a life of perpetual sacrifice. And the question is, um, I just quoted this last night, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That choosing whom we will serve, will we serve the purposes of the Lord or will we serve our flesh? It's not exactly what Joshua was talking about when he said it, but that's my application of it in this particular moment. So when we come to our text this morning, the, the groundwork being laid, we're called to be committed people. What does commitment really look like? What does it mean to be that? Well, we get a, a beautiful lesson in Ruth. So as we begin, then they lifted up their voices, verse 14, and they wept again. Now, wept, weeping again, we've already heard in verse 9 that she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So what, are we, what, what, is, the, what is the picture here? That's one of lament. Uh, that's easy. You, you can't get past it. The weeping cues us in to this is not a happy occasion. In, in other words, Orpah's not getting ready to skip back to her mother's house happy 
This is a time of sadness. And so what that should tell you is a love on display by both women, Orpah and Ruth. Both had a love for Naomi. Both cared deeply for their mother-in-law. It's very easy for people to camp out here in Ruth and make Orpah kind of the enemy, and she's not. Or to say that Orpah made a bad choice, and she didn't. Or to say that Orpah in general did something wrong, and she didn't. In fact, what Orpah did was do exactly what Naomi told her to do. Naomi said, my daughters, go back to your mother's house, and I pray that you find rest and peace and hope and fulfillment in your husband's house. In other words, Naomi said, go and pursue the things that you ought to pursue as young, younger women. So when we see Orpah kissing her mother-in-law, what we find is, is that Orpah chose to follow the conventional wisdom of the day, to go back and, and have marriage and, and hopefully have kids and have all the things that she missed out on with her deceased husband. So this is not a bad choice. She followed Naomi's advice. And for one reason, it's easier to do things that help yourself along the path than to make some of the sacrifices that we're about to see Ruth will make. But let that not be a fault to Orpah. She, she made a choice for something that was not a bad choice. But the problem is, is that she's compared to Ruth. And that's a hard comparison. The exemplary wife in Hebrew Scripture, the, the one who this Moabite, this woman from Moab, who is probably the best Bible character to teach us what it means to be committed over everything we read, this is who Orpah is compared to. So let's give Orpah a little break. She, she made a, not a bad choice in what she chose to do. It's just that Ruth made a better choice. Let's just say it like that. So we see Ruth, and here's what we're told about her. Ruth clung to her. Now, this is an interesting word here. This Hebrew word here, you might find it, you'll find it in other places. One place you'll find it is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this is not making any sort of sexual innuendo here about Ruth. What it is telling us, however, is a deep level of intimacy existed so that Ruth is not just holding the hand of her mother-in-law. She is cleaving to her. There is a deep, meaningful, intimate embrace happening here. We are seeing on display what it means to be committed, that she has bound herself to Naomi. We're getting a look at a physical representation of deep devotion. And when we look at this, when we read that Ruth clung to Naomi, beloved, we're seeing something that is beautiful here because we are seeing the way less traveled, the Robert uh, Frost poem. It's sacrifice. It's easy for us to cheer her on here and say, yeah, Ruth, you're doing the right thing. This is great because you're going to meet Boaz, and you're going to have Ovid, and he's going to have Jesse, and he's going to have David, and he's going to have Jesus. But Ruth has no idea. She doesn't know that. All she knows 
is that she is leaving a life she's known into another world, a world where her enemy lives with this woman who can't provide for herself, and she's just decided, I'm sticking with her. Beloved, that is a sacrifice. That is called commitment. That's called being willing to eat a lot of cost for the sake of another. I mean, I want you to think this through with me for just a moment. She's agreeing to the possibility of perpetual widowhood. What does that mean in Israel? That means struggle. It means hardship. It means poverty. It means angst. It means a constant living from hand to mouth and hand to mouth and scraping together the best you can. She's choosing this. Why? Not arbitrarily, for a person, for a commitment, for a relational love. She is giving up her right to marry. And by choosing, in this instance, perpetual widowhood, potentially, she's giving up any notion of ever having children, never having a son, never having a daughter, never getting to experience any of the things that she dreamt of probably as a child. She's given all this up, laying it aside for a real and earnest commitment. So when I tell you, look no further than Ruth chapter 1 for what it means, other than Jesus Christ our Lord, what it means to be committed to something to the point that you give it all away, it's here. It's right here. It's right before us. And so what she does is she gives up any sense of temporal happiness. And I want us to understand, by giving up the sense of temporal happiness, it's not that she doesn't care for those things. We shouldn't assume that she doesn't. We should assume, in fact, she very much does. She cares for Naomi more. That's the idea. As these things are beautiful, and they're a rich gift from Yahweh, and yes, she would love to have that, but there's this person here that she's committed to, that she wants to walk with. It is a living sacrifice, giving her life away for the care of others. And so what do we see here? I mean, Naomi tells her, and I'm going to come to this, I'm going to come back again to this in just a moment, but just for this purposes here, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. Even Naomi is recognizing what Ruth has given up. This is an older woman who's had uh, marriage, who's had her own children. She understands culturally, realistically, physically, emotionally, all the things that Ruth is saying no to in this moment. She gets it. Go. It's not that she doesn't love Ruth. It's she's wanting her to go pursue the things that a young woman in that culture should pursue. And so Ruth's living sacrifice is even an anomaly to Naomi in this moment. But here's where I want to say something, and I want to say something that I think is important. We're going to come back around to in Ruth. Ruth here is walking by faith, not conventional wisdom. Ruth is walking by faith, not conventional wisdom, and this becomes instructive to us because conventional wisdom is conventional wisdom because generally it's right. A conventional wisdom is conventional because generally it's right and it's good and it's sound advice for us to follow. There are little, little things that we know and have heard all our lives. My dad used to always say, son, it's easier to find a job when you have a job. And historically, that's been good advice to me. 
conventional wisdom has worked out well for me, that when you have a job, it is typically easier to find a job. Conventional wisdom of her day, go get a husband. Go back to your parents' house until you find a husband and then have children and do all the things that you're supposed to do. I'm going to put that in quotes. All the things you're supposed to do, go do that. And so conventional wisdom isn't bad, and it's not always bad. But we have to think of the wisdom of Yahweh over and above what is conventional. Because sometimes in the walk of faith, we walk into this house, we walk up to this house, and the most conventional thing is to go through the door. But God may be calling us to go through a window. Just make sure the homeowner doesn't have a gun. I'm joking. Um, God may be calling us to not go through the door, though it looks like the most obvious thing we should do, because that's what conventional wisdom tells me. Go through the door. But the Spirit may be saying, no, I want you to go through the window, because what's beyond that window is exactly what you need, not what's behind that door. And so conventional wisdom isn't bad, but sometimes it's not leading in the best way. Ruth took the best way, and she did take the best way over Orpah. Why? Because she's going to be confronted with Yahweh in Israel, and we will get to that eventually. But for now, she's walking by faith. And so if Ruth is walking by faith, she's honoring this commitment. And again, I'm saying nothing of Orpah here, just a general rule. So what often motivates a lack of commitment among Christians often tends to be a lack of faith, not really believing in some way, shape, or form. I'm not saying that it always does I'm saying generally a lack of faith is what motivates a spirit of non-commitment, that unwillingness to sacrifice, because what if I hang myself out to dry? What if I give and then I don't have? What if I do and they don't reciprocate? The what if? Well, we can what if ourselves to death. What if? What if you love and that love doesn't return back? What if you give and you don't immediately see replenishment? What if you lay it all out and it's not reciprocated. Yahweh is still the Lord, and He's still calling us to walk by faith and trust that He will see us through. And so Ruth teaches us this beautiful lesson. So the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of security, Happiness is not bad. Security isn't bad either. Sometimes they can compel us to make choices that avoid sacrifice instead of trusting God. And this morning, I'm preaching more to myself probably than anybody in this room because that's the message I need to hear so often. It's easy to be happy, and it feels natural to want security, but sometimes there's a middle path between those things. It just says, if you'll just trust me, I'll give it to you in spades if you will trust me and walk through what I'm telling you to walk through. Ruth did that, and it's powerful. When we look at Ruth, so I've just read to you, see your sister-in-law is going back to her people, now return after your sister-in-law. It's imperative command. Naomi is really urging her to not come with her. Now, you could speculate she doesn't want her in Israel because everybody's going to think she's a Moabite drag. Like, now Naomi, you cursed person, you brought this Moabite with you. That's, that's one theory. I think it's wrong. I actually think Naomi cares about her. I actually think Naomi looks at this young woman and says, I want you to have the things that you've been robbed of, at least robbed in her mentality. 
the things that you've lost. I think that's a better way to say it, the things that you've lost. But, but Ruth is not having it. Look at what Ruth says. So verses 16 and 17 are just, I mean, that's talk about a gospel punch. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. So before Ruth makes any declaration, she gets a demand right here. This is not, please don't, this is a forceful statement. Ruth says, do not ask me to leave you. Do not ask me to forsake a love that I have deemed sacred. Beloved, would that we all had people in our lives like this. All of us need people in our lives like this. All of us need to be this type of person for people in our lives. You can't be it for everybody, but may we be willing to be that person in other people's lives and to look for those type of people in our lives who will be that person who says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm with you. I'm not jumping ship. I'm not letting you go. I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm with you. Ruth's commitment is part of her new identity. Ruth, she makes this demand. She's not going to forsake Naomi. And there's a, there's a principle here at work. The reason she's not going to forsake Naomi, but we're going to see this in just a moment, because to forsake Naomi is to forsake herself. She's tied herself now to this woman. And to do to Naomi would be to do to herself. So this is the commitment she makes. Ruth is making an identity statement here. We talk about identity quite a bit. So when she says, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. She is making an identity statement. Some people will play this off as she's just making a a commitment in a moment. I think it's much bigger than that. To say your God will be my, my God becomes an identity statement. Your God will be my God. Your object of worship will be my object of worship. And I'm forsaking everything for you and this God. So in a sense, she's saying, I am a new creation. And she makes three declarations here that kind of wrap this little paragraph up. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. That's her demand. And then first declaration, where you go, I will go. Where you live or lodge, I will lodge. Now she says, so this is a life of service, that I'm never going to leave you and I'm not going to forsake you. You've heard those words before on the lips of one in the lineage of Ruth. Ruth is in Jesus' lineage, by the way. She's in his genealogy. And Jesus says later on, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How beautiful that a Moabite woman in his genealogy does the same thing centuries before he ever comes. Only death, Naomi, will part me from you. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. Beloved, (laughs) this is such a beautiful reality because this is a God moment where this woman takes her sense of commitment to Naomi to the next level. 
And this is the beauty of gospel truth, the gospel. So the gospel, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It fundamentally changes us from sinner to saint, from death to life, from lost to found. And those things are not just true so that we don't go to hell. They have a ripple effect for how we live our lives. And so now what the gospel does has liberated me from uh, living in my flesh to live in the imitation of Christ. And one of the first things it says to me is that within the community that I'm in, I'm going to live with those people. I'm going to be with those people. I'm going to pledge my life to those people. I'm going to embrace those people as my own, as my brothers and sisters and loved ones and people which God has called me to live with. And you're going to do it, and I'm going to do it all imperfectly. We're not going to do it right all the time. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to alienate people. We're going to find that we need to repent. We're going to find that we need to humble ourselves. We're going to find that sometimes we need to go hat in hand and make something right. But the beauty of it is is with that new identity, with that gospel transformation, the road, the way has already been set. We merely need to walk it. But Satan would have you think that there's an obstacle there, there are blinders there that now prohibit you from going back. And beloved, in the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, for those who are his, there is no obstacle too great to return. The prodigal son came to his senses and said, how many of my father's servants. Where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Oh, but it gets better. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. What she's saying here, that I'll have a new family. I'll have a new religion. I'll have a new object of worship. I'll have a new object of trust. I will have a new trust in the Lord. These things are going to be true of me. And they're going to determine now my identity. Our identity is not the things we associate with. Rather, it's found in Jesus Christ. That is our identity. That's where we live. That's our anchor. That's the basis of our, our commitment and faith is in Jesus Christ as the covenant Lord. And so our lives, our lives become uh, tailored around how we live with God's people, how we live quorum Deo before the face of God. Christ committed himself to his people. How? Well, he, he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. With a, with a view of us then dying to self and living for Christ. Ruth does this in the Old Testament. Of course, she's not living for Christ in this particular instance. She's living for Yahweh but we understand as the ancestor of Jesus, even Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, we're all looking to the day of Messiah. See, this commitment that we're talking about, I just want us to remember, this is not an extra. This is not an add-on to faithfulness. It is the essence of what faithfulness is. We, I've said this before, it bears repeating. Uh, synonyms, commitment, faithfulness, really are about the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. Right? If you're committed to your spouse, you're going to be faithful in your marriage, right? You don't bifurcate those two ideas. You don't say, I'm committed to my spouse, but we embrace infidelity. People look at you like you're nuts. And it's probably a thing in our culture, given how, how backwards everything is these days. But yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't separate that out. We would think, well, of course, if I am committed, I'm going to be faithful. And that's the idea here. 
that our faith in God is expressed by a daily commitment to Him and His people. But she wraps this up and says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. People will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. So she goes from life to death. She goes from one end of the spectrum to the other, from life to death. And so she's saying that there are no circumstances that will pull me away. And beloved, and now keep in mind, we're going to see this. They go through famine. I mean, they go through hunger. They're having to go gather grain just to survive. And so she's saying, I'm going to stick with you through all these circumstances. We're called to be committed to one another and to Jesus no matter the cost. And it is costly. And she's saying, the only thing that will cause me to falter in my commitment is death itself. And even then, where you're buried, I'll be buried. I said this a while ago. Would that we all have and be those type of people in the kingdom of God. That's the richness of what we see here. She makes, she ends this up with a solemn oath. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. This is a vow. She just made a sacred promise invoking the name of the Lord. So what she believes is that God is sovereign and able and powerful enough to hold her to her word. Powerful statement of faith in the ancient world. She's swearing by Hebrews, the Hebrews God. That is the God who has the power to hold her oath. But she also believes that he can and will do it. He has the power. She actually believes he can and will do it. So what does is, what is her service to Naomi look like? Well, in the end, really what it looks like is I'm going to serve Naomi in practical matters with a view to worshiping the true and living God. Her worship is not her service, but her service is a part of her worship. And that becomes vital for how we live our lives before the Lord. So what is Naomi's response? I mean, after all that, what can she say? So Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, so she said no more. Yeah, you have those moments where you see somebody's determination and you just realize, okay, this person's determined. I'm going to, it's, it's done. It's a done deal. That's where we are. So Naomi, what is she doing? She's accepting the love of Ruth. What is, what is our M.O. for most people anyway? When someone does something we know is going to be really costly, we try to give them excuses to get out of it. No, 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 please, no, you don't have to do that. No, I don't want you to. And Naomi has done that, but she's seen that Ruth won't be put off. And so what is she doing? She's graciously accepting the love that Ruth gives as a generous gift. Can I encourage you here this morning? Sometimes people just want to bless you. Sometimes they really do want to bless you. And if they're putting themselves out, they're doing so by their own choice. And it is also a great way to love them by letting them do the thing they're trying to do to serve you. 
We don't like to put people out. We don't like to make people think we're needy. But saying yes to the blessing of others is a blessing to them. And it's not making you come off as needy. It's making you come off as a human being. It's making you realize that people love in different ways. And we all want to give love. So receive. Naomi just receives it. And you know what I love here? Is I, and I think the impression that it probably makes on Naomi is one of amazement. Now, Naomi's still going to have her pity party. That's coming up. So it doesn't totally deliver her, deliver her out. But I have to believe this made a valuable impression on Naomi for the rest of her days. When we think about commitment, beloved, it's a hard path, but it is a path of transforming love. Our commitment is transforming, but often it's not the other person that is transformed. It's us. I've been on many a mission trip in my lifetime. In fact, I thought I was going to be a missionary. I've got an emphasis in mission from RTS. And I, to the trip that I've, to any trip I've ever taken, the people who were changed most are not the people that we served. It was the people who did the serving. It was an opportunity for us to get outside ourselves and to just be in a position where, A, we had to trust the Lord, and B, we had to do things out of our comfort zones, and C, we had to see the Lord do things with whatever little bit we gave. And it's a powerful thing. So committing to others is more transformative for us. We live in a culture that is too quick to divorce. But the Lord is calling us to stay the course. And I don't mean divorce simply in marriage. I mean divorce in all manner of things. It's just if it's easy, you quit. I mean, no, that's, that's backwards. If it's hard, you quit. I strike that. If it's, if, it's, if it's hard, you quit. If it's easy, it's easy and you stay, you stay committed. But we're called to a faithfulness deeper than that. More than our intellect, more than our money, more than our opinion, the church needs our commitment to love and serve her faithfully. And Ruth had little to give. She's, she's the widow, the widow's might. She, what she had to give, she gave it. And it was a beautiful gift. It was a rich gift. And it's a gift that ripples out to 2023. For those of us who call Jesus Lord, we can thank God for Ruth. And that is a powerful testimony to what somebody, some insignificant woman from Moab can do when she chooses faithfulness and commitment over all the things, pulling her in a different direction. It's powerful, beloved. Please pray with me. God, thank you for this passage, this truth, this paragraph, this rich heritage that we have from Ruth this morning. Oh, Father, use it to convict us, to help us remember what it's like to be committed, to what it's like to be faithful for what it means for us in your economy to live our lives, quorum Deo, before your face. Father, we thank you for Ruth. We thank you for her example. And we ask that you help us embrace just this rich meaning of for where you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you are buried, I will be buried. May we live that type of committed faith throughout all our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.